0: Well, hey, grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 1. My daughter, Charlotte, who you just saw up here being a little shy, she's three years old, and her favorite word right now is the word why. Anybody else's kids go through that phase, everything's why? We, we have these daily exchanges that go like this. I say, all right, it's time for bed. Why? Well, because we have to get some rest for tomorrow. Why? Well, because we don't, we're not going to feel good tomorrow. Why? Because that's how God made us, okay? And that's where I kind of always land. That's how my wife and I have started answering her because, well, it's kind of hard to answer why cicadas make noise and why you can't draw on the walls and why vegetables are good for you and why your birthday is only one day a year and why Daddy needs another cup of coffee. <laughs> because that's how God made it, okay? All of her why questions, though, keep me thinking about the purpose of things. I've started wondering myself, why do those pesky little cicadas make so much noise? And why can't we draw on the walls? I think that'd be kind of stress relieving. But that's what why questions are designed to do. They're designed to make you think about the reason why something is the way it is. And as humans, we're we're wired to ask these questions. We want to know how things work and why they work the way they do. So this morning, we are going to channel our inner three-year-old. And We're going to ask the question, why? Specifically, we're going to ask this question. Why multiply? That's the title of our message and it refers to the Multiply 2028 vision and the campaign that we're going to start to get the vision on its feet. Now, if you're new to Blue Valley or if you feel like 2020 has been decades long and you forgot everything that happened in 2019 like I did, then you may need a little refresher. You may not know what the multiply vision is. You may be thinking, multiply, are we going to be doing math? I don't like math. I mean, let's start with addition or subtraction or something. but, But no, let me just refresh your brain. Here's what the vision is. The vision of Blue Valley Baptist is to become a multiplying church that is actively establishing local campuses, and planning autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally by 2028. This is not something that we just pulled out of thin air. This vision was years of thinking and praying and discussing among staff and elders and other church leadership. It was then approved by about 75 different groups of people, only slightly exaggerating. Including the entire church, we voted unanimously on this last year to adopt this as our vision, which means in the Baptist world, it is written in stone, okay? Like, this is our vision, till death do us part, no take backs. And if you don't like it, well, you can call my boss, God or Pastor Derek, whoever's easier to get a hold of. Um, but this isn't also, this also is not just a bunch of fancy words on a page designed to, to make us look like we're doing something we actually aren't. Every company and organization has a hip vision vision statement these days, and yet often and sometimes that vision has very little bearing on the day-to-day operations. But that's not going to be the case with us. As you're going to see, this vision is going to impact every single thing we do. We are putting our money where our mouth is, literally. (laughs) We're going to be raising money for this vision starting on November 22nd. That's two weeks from today. So this is the vision of Blue Valley Baptist Church. But why? Seriously, why? Do you know the purpose behind this vision? Maybe you're wondering today, why are we planting churches and starting more campuses when we have two perfectly fine campuses right here? Why are we sending out people to start new things when we should be trying to get more people to come here and join us? Why are we raising money with so much financial uncertainty in our country right now? And why are we seeking to multiply when we still don't have all our people back from the COVID-19 pandemic? Why? Have I said the word why enough yet? I'm going to say it about a hundred more times today, okay? Because this morning we're going to look at the why, and it's a big why. It's a very important why. Because the why behind our vision comes from Jesus himself. Jesus actually used his final words on earth to give us this why. It was the last thing Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended back to heaven. He, he gave them his final marching orders, and those orders are the why that we need to understand if we're going to fulfill the Multiply 2028 20, vision. So let's look now at Acts chapter 1, verses 6-11. through 11. I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. You can be seated. Ultimately, our why is because Jesus has called us to multiply. It's not optional. It's not just for super Christians. It's for all of us, every believer and every church. It's our mission, our purpose, our great task and calling. So as we walk through this passage this morning, I want to give you three specific reasons straight from the text of why Jesus calls us to multiply. Here's the first. Jesus calls us to multiply because his mission is global. One of the fascinating things about this passage in Acts chapter 1 is that after all the disciples had witnessed, after all they had seen Jesus do, they were still confused about what exactly his plan was. Remember, this is the last thing Jesus said to his disciples. He spent three years investing in them and teaching them and raising them up for this very moment, and yet they were still thinking about themselves. Look again at verse 6. Here's the question they want to know. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What exactly are they asking here? One of the things we see in the New Testament is that the Jewish people were struggling with what it meant that the Messiah was going to be a king who would restore the kingdom to Israel. They interpreted these Old Testament prophecies a a little incorrectly, and they believed the Messiah was going to physically conquer the Romans and sit on a literal throne as king immediately from day one. And that was how they pictured salvation. So you can imagine how confused they were when this great and mighty king came as a baby in a manger. And they were even more confused, I would assume, when rather than Jesus killing their enemies, their enemies killed him. This was not the kind of king and kingdom they had in mind. They wanted to get out from under the Roman rule. They wanted Israel to be powerful and in control again. They were essentially thinking about themselves and their own group. So after all they had experienced Jesus do, Jesus do they're still wondering, is now the time, Jesus? Is this the part where you rain down fire on everybody else? Is this the moment when you, we get to take back charge and build our kingdom again? Jesus says, it's it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. He basically says, hey, God's got all that under control. It's his kingdom, and yes, one day it's going to be fully established, but he will decide when the kingdom comes in all its fullness. That's not what you should be thinking about. (laughs) You're thinking inward, and I need you to think outward. The disciples didn't realize that the mission of Jesus is global. It's bigger than just Israel. It's bigger than just that little slice of the world. The mission of Jesus is to reach everyone with the gospel, and that requires the church to think outwardly. But here's what happens the church tends to have that same issue that the disciples had. We tend to drift towards ourselves and our own little local gathering in our own city, and we shrink the mission. In fact, in my experience, this inward self focused drift is what explains all of the church's problems. When the church turns inward, guess what happens? Begins to fight, conflict happens. And I've seen this happen, man. I've been a part of a church split, I've been a part of churches where groups of people have gotten upset and walked away from the church. And it almost always comes down to being too focused on self, it's almost always about personal preference. We don't like the preaching or we don't like the music or we don't like the kids ministry or we don't want to wear masks or we need more masks or that preacher has a beard and beards are weird. Listen, somebody needs to hear this today. Church is not about you and what you like or what you don't like. It's about the people of God gathering for the glory of God. And church is not about what you can get. Or how it makes you feel. Church is about what you can give to the people of God as we gather for the glory of God. Unless you think I'm just being mean and attacking, I need this reminder too. See, my natural disposition is to come into church and think about myself and my preferences and who talked to me or who liked my sermon or who fell asleep. Yeah, I see that. And I so easily forget that We exist for the mission of God, but friends, the moment we forget that is the moment we begin to die. So this is why we have the multiply vision. It's to continually reorient our church outwardly towards the world. We need this constant pushing, this constant reminding that there is a lost world in desperate need of Jesus, and it's our responsibility to reach it. This is what Jesus tells the disciples The mission of the church is to expand outward, starting where you are to the ends of the earth. This thing is global. and We can't forget that. I once uh, served at a church, and we were in the early stages of partnering with a church in another country that was very unreached. And there was a contingent of people in our church who got upset because they said, Hey, why are we going over there and spending all this money when we got people we need to reach right here? And why are we going over there to help out kids in need when we have kids in need in our own community? So we took them to Acts 1.8. Look at it again. It says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. It's not Jerusalem or Samaria or the ends of the earth. It's and. It's both And. It's not some churches do local missions and other churches go to other countries. Every church is called to do ministry locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally. That's why our vision uses that language. we got to understand that Christianity is not an American religion. It's not a Western religion. It's a movement for the whole world. And if we are not seeking to multiply churches and multiply the gospel in the whole world, we are missing the mission. We've got to think globally. Yeah, we continue to minister locally. Our closest and most immediate mission field is Olathe, and that's very important, but we can't stop there. We've got to push our brains out to the nations, and I pray that we would begin to send some of our bodies to the nations as well. So why multiply? Because the mission of Jesus is global. Here's the second reason Jesus calls us to multiply, because his power is available. I cannot help but imagine how overwhelmed and afraid the disciples must have been when they received the Great Commission. These were normal, everyday guys. Guys who had no authority in society, no wealth, no influence, no formal education or training. Guys who had not even traveled very far from their homes. They went everywhere on foot. They had such limited knowledge of of the world outside of where they lived. And add to that the fact that their leader was recently executed, so they feared for their lives. But here's what Jesus does. He brings them together and he says, all right, here's the plan. You ready? We're going to take the message about me to the whole wide world. We're going to start right here in Jerusalem where people hate you because of me. And then we're going to go to Samaria where people hate you because you're Jewish. And then we're going to go to places you don't even know exist yet where guess what? Yeah, they're probably still going to hate you. And oh yeah, by the way, I'm leaving. Bye, guys. And he walks, floats really away into the sunset. How do you think they felt? Scared, confused, overwhelmed? They'd been given the biggest mission in the history of the world, and their leader just left. But look how they respond in verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Here's how the disciples respond to everything that Jesus just told them. This is it. Watch this. This is how they respond. There he goes. They stand there staring off into space so long that two angels have to come down and tell them, Hey, guys, why are you still standing there? That's their reaction. They're dumbfounded. But, but Jesus drops into his commissioning this little clause that's going to make all the difference. And the disciples probably didn't fully get it at the time. They were about to. But this is really important for us to understand. Look again at verse 8. He said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus tells them that they're not going to be taking up this great task alone. They're going to receive power. And this power is the same power that Jesus had, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I think it's important for us here to evaluate our understanding of the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and growing up in a Baptist church, we didn't talk a whole lot about the Holy Spirit. I kind of thought of him as like that crazy uncle that everyone has. Like you have to love him cuz he's family, but when he shows up you get nervous what he might do. You know, and I thought the Holy Spirit would would make you jump over the pews or do some things you didn't want to do. It, Those of you who grew up in maybe a more charismatic or Pentecostal tradition, you have a totally different experience with the Spirit. So I think despite our tradition that we grew up in, we really need to think through our understanding of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes Christians tend to think of the Holy Spirit as a power or an energy like the force in Star Wars. It's this mysterious power that comes from God, but that's not it. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. That's why we say he and not it. He is God, one of three persons of the Trinity. So just as Jesus is fully God and the Father is fully God, the Holy Spirit is also fully God. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit does a lot of things that are personal. He, he said to comfort and teach and speak and grieve over sin. He gives spiritual gifts to believers and he even prays for us. You see, the Holy Spirit is a person. So do you see then why receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is such a big deal? To receive the Holy Spirit is to have divine help from the power of and person of God. And here's the kicker. The, the Spirit doesn't just help us by going in front of us or coming behind us or standing along with us. No, the Bible says He's in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. He lives in us. Man, do you get what this means? This means we have the power and person of God inside of us. This should totally transform the way we think about the mission. It's like the disciples. I often feel unqualified and small and afraid. But with the Spirit's power in me, I know that the mission does not depend on me. It's not about my skill or intelligence or abilities or gifting or strength. It's about the Holy Spirit in me. I was thinking about back in college, I played uh, intramural flag football. And it was a lot of fun because it was like mostly regular semi-athletic guys competing. So it it was nice. But I was thinking about this. Can you imagine if Patrick Mahomes played on my flag football team? How do you think that would affect the morale and confidence of the team? If Patrick Mahomes were on my flag football team, I think it's safe to say that we would win. (laughs) Like I would have no concern about who we're playing or who's on the other side of the field. I would have no doubt about the outcome of the game because to have the greatest football player on the planet, on my team, I would feel unstoppable. And this is how we should feel knowing we have the Holy Spirit on our team and the mission. The victory is guaranteed. If God has called our church to multiply and accomplish this vision, then it's going to happen. If God has called you to share the gospel, and he has, then when you share, his power will do the work. The Spirit is the one who speaks through us. The Spirit is the one who changes people's hearts, and the Spirit is the one who will multiply his church. This is why we multiply, because the same power that Jesus had the same power that raised him from the dead, the same power that has propelled the mission forward for 2,000 years is the same power we have access to today. So we multiply because his power is available. Third and last, Jesus calls us to multiply because his return is certain. Look with me one more time at verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Do you remember when your mom told you as a kid, Hey, I'm gonna go to the store, and by the time I get back, this house better be clean? You were expected to complete your chores while your mom was away, and when she returned, she was gonna see how you did. And the thought of her coming home, pulling up the driveway, you hear the keys jingling and you're scrambling, that kind of motivated you to get things done, right? The same is true of Christ. The angels tell the disciples, hey, don't just stand there. Yes, he's gone, but he's coming back. And until then, we got a job to do. So in other words, get to work. I wonder if those same angels were to come visit us this morning, what would they say? Why do you stand there looking at the news all day? Why do you stand there looking at your bank account and worrying about money? Why do you stand looking at social media? Why do you stand there looking at what other people think about you? Why do you stand looking with regret at the past or with worry about the future? Jesus is coming back. Don't just stand there, get to work. It's not that all these other things going on in the world are not important, but on the scale of what's most important, nothing outranks the call to take the gospel to the nations. We've got to have this sense of urgency for the mission. That's never been more apparent to me than it is in 2020. I've been reminded how fragile and fleeting life really is. Our health, our government, our society, our financial markets, all of that is fleeting and temporary. None of us are guaranteed a single day on this earth. I mean, every breath you take is a gift of God's grace. And Jesus could come back any moment. And yet, here in Johnson County, we are surrounded by people who do not know him. Did you know 75% of Johnson County is functionally unchurched? Many of the people you work with, many of the people in your neighborhood, many of the people you pass driving down the street every day are on a path to hell if we don't do something about it. And think about the world. Did you know there are over 7,000 unreached people groups in the world today? This means that there are over 3.2 billion people who have no access to the gospel of Jesus. There are no churches No Bibles, no gospel witness, and unless we reach them, they will spend eternity in hell. This is real. This is not just church talk or pastors speak. Eternity is real. Heaven and hell are real places, and real people are going there every day. And the one thing that determines their eternal destination is if they trust in Jesus. There is no other way. This isn't just a job of a missionary. Guys, every follower of Jesus is called to be a missionary. The Great Commission is not just for pastors or Sunday school teachers or even adult Christians. It's for all of us, and it's going to take all of us. This is why we multiply, because the mission of Jesus is global. His power is available, and his return is certain. This is our why. So when we talk about the multiply vision we're not trying to be unique or hip or extra special. We're simply trying to do what Jesus has called the church to do all along. So I want you to know if you come to this campus and you sit in these seats each week, you're taking a risk. I'm not just talking about the risk of being infected. But you're taking a a bigger risk than that because I'm praying, myself and others are praying some dangerous prayers for you. I'm not just praying for God to keep you safe and healthy and happy and successful. Honestly, I'm praying for God to mess up your life. I'm praying for God to call some of you to, to preach or teach or pastor or lead worship. I'm praying for God to call some of you to sell your home and move to another part of our city, another part of our country, or even another part of the world. I'm praying for God to call some of you to give away all the money that you've saved up to be so comfortable for the sake of the mission. I'm praying for God to call some of you to leave this campus, to go plant a new church, or to be a part of a new campus. I'm praying for God to call some of you to take a job in an unreached part of the world And I am praying for God to cause some of you to do some radical things for the sake of the mission to where people on the outside looking in say, what is wrong with you? That's crazy. Why would you do that? Because Jesus has called us to. The Ridgeview campus is not a safe place to be. This is a church where we're going to do big, bold, risky things for the mission of God to the glory of God. This is a church that's going to multiply. So will you join us? Will you do your part? We need you. We need everyone. Because Jesus is calling us. Are you listening? Let's pray.